Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies is a pair of kings. It's John Carpenter's Elvis and Bubba Hotep. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Just remember the 80s when you were like, if you were in the front seat of the car and you wanted to be in the back seat, you didn't have to pull over, you just took your seatbelt off and climbed over the seat. <laughs> seatbelt? You just climbed over. It was a seatbelt. How, how is that? Does that sound all right? It's better. Quite a bit better. Like a lot better. Does it sound tinny or anything? No more than usual. No. Usually by this point in the podcast, you've fallen out at least once, though. So. I got them stable internet, so now you guys can really, really hear the flaws in my recording device. <laughs> I will come back to way. Oh, I definitely, I definitely need to upgrade. I'm, I've been recording on uh, my shirt clip microphone for my portable recorder. <laughs> oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah, it is. It is not good. I have whatever headset Scott sent me a link to when he was trying to convince me to start the last horrorcast. I was like, fine, I'll order that one without thinking. <laughs> like, if, ever since I've been like, I should probably get a better one, and I haven't. Using my $25 Amazon condenser microphone. I've always thought about getting one that's not a headset, but then I always think there's too much other shit going on in my house, and I always wonder like, how much more of my child yelling you'd hear. I was going to say, I have my headset one for my Xbox that probably would sound better, but I'm not sure how it works with the computer. Because it's got the one plug for both the... Uh, Mike and the, the earphones, you know what I mean? I had something really funny to say about 10 minutes ago, and I completely forgot what it was. Alright. Maybe it'll, maybe you'll remember it later, and you can just blurt it out. Yeah, probably. Yeah, still can't remember. Oh well. Uh, it would have been hilarious. Everybody would have laughed. We would have had a good time. Yeah, I don't know. Every week you seem to think that you have something funny to say, but then you don't say it in front of us. We all just trust that you had something funny to say. Yeah. Starting to think you don't, you're not that funny. I think I'm getting uh, early onset uh, Alzheimer's, so I just forget everything anymore. That's good. Good times. My my friend's child told me one of the best jokes I've ever heard in my entire life. Said, "What did one monkey say to the other monkey?" Mm-hmm. He said. Monkeys don't talk, you silly Billy. And then he punched me in the balls right in the other room. (laughs) 
Uh, it is a good joke from my from my viewpoint. That's that's what I said. I was like, okay, well, I got in. That, that was actually pretty clever. So <laughs> I'll give it to it. You win this time, small child. <laughs> Wait till he grows up. You're allowed to kick him back. Just one day. He's not right. paying attention. Come up from behind. You just tell him the joke, and then you do it. It'll be great. <laughs> You can't tell him the joke because he'll see it coming a mile away. Because there's yeah. probably a lineup of fucking people wanting to get that kid back. <laughs> <laughs> Every adult male he knows. What if you just punch him in the balls and say, Monkeys can't talk, silly Billy? And then you're like, Wait, I think I fucked the joke up. And then you just walk away. <laughs> I meant knock, knock. Fuck off. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, well, I guess, should we just jump into this week's topic? This week's The Life and Times of Elvis Presley, is that this week's topic? Yes, because uh, Tuesday, January 8th, is Elvis's birthday. So we so figured, week. what what a better time to talk about Elvis Presley and his entire life. The day Elvis that he Shambling corpse crawls forth from the grave to drink human blood and seek out quaaludes. That's not on his birthday. That's on the anniversary of his death. Oh, yeah. Plus, Sorry. he doesn't have a shambling corpse. He's obviously still alive. He faked his death. Come on. No, he... Anyways, spoiler alert, but we'll see his death later on. <laughs> anyways. So since yeah, so, since we we're always looking for something to celebrate, we can, never, we can never think of a holiday. All of a sudden, on January eighth, we finally found one. Yeah, I mean, we <laughs> haven't had any holidays in a long time. So, was it Easter? It wasn't that the last holiday. I think we had? that's the last holiday we celebrated. Yeah. So we figured let's not celebrate those mainstream holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this was a weird topic that's been on our list for a while, and I just randomly looked up, like, I wonder when Elvis's birthday is, and it turns out it was, like, two weeks away from when I looked it up, so I was like, well, I guess this is what we're doing. Yeah. We should give credit. Didn't we steal this idea? Uh, I believe, uh, Elric from Pure Cinema and or Shockwaves podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember which one it was him, but I don't remember which one he was on. All right. Um, brought this up that it would be a fun double feature to do. And I think it was right after Shout Factory put out the Jen Carpenter Elvis TV movie. Okay. So we stole the idea. We're not sure where from, but yeah. full credit to whoever had the idea. Yeah. One of two places. Same guy, but two different podcasts. So I put it down on the list because I'm like, that would be fun. And this gave us an excuse to do it. I just figure there's a possibility we'll get emails from people saying, hey, somebody else suggested this. So now now we can't. Yeah. You've saved us. We'll be like, well, they're a bunch of simpletons on that show, so they don't need to be reminded why. It's fine. Uh, so first up is the 1979 John Carpenter-directed TV movie Elvis, which stars Kurt Russell as the aforementioned Elvis Presley. Um, don't know if you need much of a recap. I mean, the movie is a super long movie, just about the life and times of Elvis Presley leading up to his 
I guess when he started playing Vegas regularly, his big yeah. Vegas comeback show. It's this random show in Vegas that they decided to make the climax of their film. I think because it's the last time anybody had any real respect for Elvis. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Like, like well, it, I want to. I want to say he died not too long after he started playing Vegas. Right? Did he start playing Vegas and then he died like three years later? Well, he died in '77, I think. Correct. The, the show that the movie is based, uses as its climax is in 1970, and he played a lot of shows throughout the '70s, but. They were, uh, from what I've read, because obviously I wasn't at any of the shows, but you know, there was a lot of just a very, very overweight man, clearly drugged up, mumbling into a microphone, calling it an Elvis Presley concert. <laughs> and people were, like I said, a lot of people were very unhappy who paid to see that, expecting to see Elvis Presley and not getting what they'd hoped for. So this movie kind of, and we'll get into a lot of what this movie avoids, but it really avoids that sort of latter part of Elvis's career where most people were pretty disappointed in him um, and where he was really just tumbling towards death through excessive amphetamine usage and mm-hmm. you know, doing the, the classic he's he really set up the, uh, the stereotypical celebrity drug addict thing where he was getting all his drugs from doctors and therefore somehow thought that made it okay and eventually that's pretty much what killed him um, you know as does since happened to many celebrities who have gone out of their way to imitate the king. <laughs> yeah, I can't find a definitive date, but it looked like, yeah, the early part of the 70s is when he started playing Vegas. He died in 77, so. Yeah. Somewhere back and forth in there. I mean, the movie uses 1970 as the date. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I have read that some of the songs that are played at this 1970 concert were not recorded or played by Elvis in 1970 or earlier than 1970, so it might not be completely accurate. Keep in well, mind that this is I, a made for... Yeah, obviously this whole thing is just all made up made up mumbo-jumbo. The real story is going to be the next movie we talk about. Well, I don't know if this movie's made up. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> parts of it might be true. You're, you're ruining the joke. Come on. I, I'm not <laughs> I would say clear, clearly the greatest flaw of this entire film is it completely ignores every negative thing that is known about Elvis Presley. Exactly. That is true. It is very, uh, very much a fluff piece. Yeah, I mean, they call this film a biography, but that's not what this is. It is literally like the first like hour is just like here's how Elvis got bullied in school, but then he learned how to play guitar, and then he was automatically good at it. Skip all the parts where he had to probably. I'm sure he did have to work hard to teach himself how to play guitar. We're not going to discuss that. We're not going to discuss like like it's like we don't even see like any of his early failures, which like from what I've read, he like every other musician had some. <laughs> I mean that's normally what you would expect, but they skip all that struggle and they go straight to all his like big moments like his first recordings and his first concerts and all this and like the only kind of negative we get is him not uh not making it onto the grand old opry or whatever and you're like well that's i mean if that's if you're saying that's the worst thing that happened to him in the first like 20 years of his life it's like i don't believe 
you. That's, like, that's not the worst thing that happened to anybody in the first like 20, 25 years of their life. But it's it, clearly by that time in the movie, you realize like this isn't a biography. This no. is a, a fluff piece made for fans of Elvis to sit back and talk about how great he was. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was 1979 when it premiered. They started filming it in 70, late 78, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, probably not even a year and a half after he died. So, and plus it was the 70s made for TV movies. So I'm sure a lot of it was like, we can't talk about drugs on TV. We can't, you know, talk about him being abusive and all that other weird shit. So. Should yeah. should we bring up the fact that he was nearly thirty and fucking a fourteen year old? No, no, no. But we will put in a scene where he drops his weird daughter wife off at high school. It's yeah, and it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, like it really because it, not only okay, so but it does at least address the Priscilla. Presley thing. It shows the conversations with him and her father, where he essentially uses his fame to convince the father to ship his ch- his child across the world to Elvis, and all this. And it's like, okay, yeah, at least it shows some of that mm-hmm. because it was so well known. But it doesn't delve at all into the fact that there were probably a lot of other teenage girls as well. And it just pretends like all that never happened. And you're like. Like if if you go online and you read comments from people who were part of Elvis's crew at the time, it's pretty evident that he had a thing for underage girls, and that's scary. He he considered the of age to be fourteen, which doesn't make any sense. I don't know where that comes from exactly. Maybe it's of age somewhere, but it's like that place is called Alabama. Yeah, and I mean there is, there is something to be said for the fact that we are looking at this from the future and yeah you know this kid this kind of came up back when your country was having the big debate about that roy moore guy was like well at some time there would have been parents who would have been perfectly happy to have their teenage daughters dating a 20 to 30 year old man and we obviously think that's super inappropriate now it probably was always you know quote unquote against the rules but much more widely accepted back then than it is today. And I think that's that's a tricky thing when you're, especially in like a made-for-TV movie, like how are you going to portray that in a way with without... Uh, you don't want to be like, okay, he's just this disgusting pervert because you're portraying something that maybe in the era was a little bit more widely accepted, but you don't want to portray it as acceptable because it's certainly not acceptable by the time you're making the movie. So they've chosen to just leave it out. Yeah, I could see during that time period it some like the mythos of Elvis that it was more of like a like oh my god it's such a love story Priscilla and Elvis and not yeah creepy weird rich dude basically buying a fourteen year old girl to become his wife. It's so dirty. (laughs) It's yeah, like and it is just it's I don't know like. Call me judgmental, but I'm against adults dating 14 year olds. Um, so Whoa. I find it. <laughs> so I'm like, and for me, I like, I just see it. And I'm just like, I, I don't know how you just treat this guy like a hero, knowing that that happened. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, like, it, it, did you guys ever watch, like, what was it called? Great Balls of Fire, like the Jerry Lee Lewis one? Yeah, I was, was going to bring that up, yeah. In that one, they at least, you know... They kind of go well, all in on that whole situation. Yeah, yeah and, they, and they address it, right? And I feel yeah. like if you're going to make this movie... To, and I'll just say flat out, the, the reason I've never seen this biopic is because it, it is exactly what I expected it to be, which is a fluff piece. And I don't like this type of biopic. I hate when biopics are tributes to the person rather than an honest and frank look at their life. I, I like biopics that show the positives and the negatives. I don't think that I don't think there's anything wrong with doing with showing the positive elements of a person's life and the negatives. Somebody can be great in one element of their life and terrible in another. That's fine. Um, a matter of fact, I think it would do the world good to recognize that most of the people who we worship have very negative aspects to them as well. And most of the people who we think are terrible may have done good things at some point in their life, and there's nothing wrong with recognizing that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, there's also the weird thing of certain people are held far more accountable for that stuff than other people. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like if you take if you take the story of Chuck Berry and the story of Elvis and put them side by side, they're similar in a lot of ways. Even especially down to the bad things, like he got in trouble for fucking a fourteen year old girl, and he got in trouble for you know being a fucking notorious womanizer and all this kind of stuff. And and historically now, Chuck Berry, people talk about him like he was fucking evil. They're like, okay, yeah, he made good music, but he was this piece of shit. And in the same breath, they'll talk about Elvis. Like, Elvis was the fucking angel. And Elvis did all of the same things. The exact same things. The only difference is Elvis was the white guy who everybody liked. Well, and I mean, they only briefly touch on that element of this movie, too, which I think is something else that they completely gloss over. Um, Which is that, like, Elvis basically got famous because he kind of sounded black. And so he did a lot of songs that had previously been done by black artists, but since you know suburban teenagers weren't allowed, they're just like, well, here we got a white guy to record it. Look at look at the look at the front of the record. It's clearly a white guy. Now you can buy it, and it's that's kind of sick when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's again, it's not that I don't blame Elvis for that. I mean, why wouldn't he sell the records if he can? Yeah, but totally. it's something that if you if to me if you're gonna do a biopic of Elvis, I want to see that explored. I mean, it's a good thing that, you know, 20 or 30 years later, things like that wouldn't happen again, Eminem. (laughs) (laughs) That was more than 20 years later. That's not fair. (laughs) It was a lot further into the future and the world still has not fixed itself. Uh, No, but no, but I mean, it is a, it is a real problem. I mean, it's, it's probably better now than it was back then, but it's still, a problem and that's something that again like the, you have an opportunity when you make a movie like this to have that discussion and you don't necessarily need to vilify Elvis or the, even the people who are making the records I mean they're just the guys at RCA or Sun Records or wherever like they're just doing what the audience is demanding but let's have a discussion about why the audience is demanding that and whether that's okay and it's it's weird to skip over all that to me mm-hmm. It makes the movie a lot less interesting. Like I don't want to just watch Kurt Russell lip sync for three hours. That's not all that interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much the only I would say the only reason this movie is even on anyone's radar is the fact that it's a John Carpenter movie. Yeah, uh, and it's his first time working with Kurt Russell, which is 
obviously a big deal. Yeah. But well, and the fact that this movie is pretty much what uh, transitioned Kurt Russell from being like a bit part actor to being a big deal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and you know, like just so that we're not just bad mouthing this movie, we should say like there are some really good elements to the filmmaking here i think some of the concert footage as much as i got bored of it because again it's a guy lip-syncing and they show a lot of full-length songs but some of it looks great it has a lot to do with the fact that john carpenter likes to shoot in that big wide lens and that really makes everything look better when you're trying to show a whole stage and all that i think stuff like that is really well done i think kurt russell is good in the role of elvis i think he's you know again it's it's one of those weird things where i'm like he plays a good it's terrifyingly accurate. <laughs> like it's, it does feel a little bit like he's doing an impression of Elvis, but watching real footage of Elvis kind of feels like a guy doing an impression of Elvis. <laughs> so, and I think that especially in his later years, he kind of was doing an impression of himself. He sort of became a parody of himself. Oh um, yeah. So like, I, I do think like, yeah, like there, it is a good performance. It is well directed. Um, all those problems of like, you know, saying, well, they didn't chose not to address and chose the, this. I mean, Kurt Russell and John Carpenter were hired onto this movie. The movie was produced and written by other people, yeah. um, so they were they were doing the best they could with the material they had and, and within the boundaries of mm-hmm. working on a TV budget and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. I would actually say that the movie I think is the movie is good and successful at being exactly what it was made for. Yeah, like it's a good made-for-TV 1970s biopic about Elvis, like. You, that's exactly what you would have got on any TV station that was going to do this in the 70s. So I think it's successful, just in retrospect, sort of knowing Ellis's history since this, it is kind of a bummer that they don't address more of the controversial stuff and just focus on sort of all the good stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is just a, a tribute to Elvis that came out shortly yeah. after he died. And like like I say, my problem with the movie mainly is that that doesn't interest me. Uh, just watch, you know what I mean? If I want, mm-hmm. especially especially looking at it now, it's 2018. If yeah. I want to, if I want to, you know, see a tribute to Elvis, well, I can log on. I'm sure I can in two seconds of googling find live footage of him actually singing. I don't need yeah. to see an actor pretending to be him. You know what I mean? Uh, or I could go to one of the hundreds of Elvis impersonators that are touring around the world. You know what I mean? Like it's. It's it, it's you know weird to say, but I I think I've met more than one Elvis impersonator in my life, and I don't go out of my way to meet Elvis impersonators. It's they're just around, you know what I mean? Like so, it doesn't really make sense to watch a movie that's just a tribute to Elvis, especially when it's you know in the format I watched it. It's like three hours long. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think because it did it air in two parts originally. Uh, Is that- that's what I was wondering, but I couldn't find anything anywhere that said other than just one premiere date. So yeah. possibly I, I would say one of my biggest complaints is is so I know having the songs and you know him singing and stuff in the movie is unavoidable. It's a movie about a fucking singer, right? Mm-hmm. There's way too fucking much of it. Yep. And there's a bunch of it where he's like performing like a little Richard song and shit. I'm give a fuck. Like, why the fuck would I give a fuck about watching a fake Elvis do a fucking little Richard song? I don't like. <laughs> well, I mean, part of it is that that's what Elvis did, right? A lot of his work was cover work. Yeah. Um, but part of it, like, I think 
the point that I that I that you're making is that why do I want to watch a guy sing an entire song? He's not even really singing it. So it's like it's a guy lip syncing. He's not even lip syncing to Elvis. So I don't get to hear Elvis. I don't get to see this guy sing. I, I'm seeing. I'm hearing the voice of a different country singer through an actor, and it's not even a song that we recognize as an Elvis song now. What's there's way too much of it in the movie. Like there's just it. It, it should be. If you're gonna have a, such a focus on the music, then hire somebody who can sing to play the part, or edit in the real footage of Elvis or something where it's mm-hmm. it's not this. Yeah, I don't know how the rights work, but it does seem weird that you would just hire someone else to sing the Elvis parts rather than just using the actual music if you're gonna have somebody lip sync anyway. Like I assume using an actual recording of Elvis would be expensive. Versus yeah. like just having to pay the writer for using the song, mm-hmm. but I don't really know how that works either. Yeah, um, one of the things I actually that was kind of interesting, which I don't know how you guys feel about it, is they do talk about Elvis's uh, twin brother who died during childbirth. Yeah, I would have yeah. been very interested in learning more about that. And I I did like that they have him sort of talking to his twin brother throughout his life. And he does that by talking to his shadow and his reflection and stuff. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting device. I mean, it's probably completely inaccurate or anything, but... I kind of wondered whether any of that had any truth to it at all. Um, or whether it was just our way of getting his inner monologue out. Yeah, that's um, what I figured. So, I do like one of the things that he's picked on as a, on as a child for being kind of a mama's boy. And throughout the movie, I think what we really learn is that uh, those kids were right. He needs oh, to yeah. get off his mom's. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew that anyway. Like, like I don't. My mom is a huge Elvis fan, so I grew up listening to Elvis and watching all these made-for-TV movies and all that other stuff. So, yeah, I was fully aware that he had a weird connection with his mother. Sometimes was a little too awkward for me. See, I never even knew that his parents ended up coming to live with him at Graceland or anything like that. I just... Mm. I knew his mom did. For some reason, I thought his dad either died or, like, left the family when he was younger, but must have been thinking about somebody else. Or or the movie's inaccurate. You know more than they do. It's it's hard to know, right? I I haven't done a lot of research into those elements of it because I just don't... I mean, again, I don't really care, and I don't think the movie... If we found out the movie was inaccurate, I would just chalk it up to, okay, they were trying to you know, kind of whitewash everything and make it a little bit cleaner. Yeah. And that's, for what this movie is, that might be the right move. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you aware that Kurt Russell's dad played his dad in the movie? I became aware of that as I was reading the Wikipedia <laughs> page before we started recording, yes. Yeah, I had no idea until about halfway through the movie I was looking up stuff, and I'm like, oh shit, that's Kurt Russell's dad. Halfway through the movie, that's a day and a half after you sat down on the couch. This movie's so long. (laughs) And then he also ended up marrying the girl that played uh, Priscilla in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, uh, maybe like a year after they wrapped this movie. They got married and they got divorced like three years later. All lines up. Was she 14 by any chance? (laughs) Do I have to not like Kurt Russell anymore? Because I want to keep liking Kurt Russell. (laughs) Oh, she definitely was not 14. Just by watching this movie, I'm just like... You can really? clearly tell. I'm like, she's supposed to be Priscilla Presley, and she's uh, very much not 14 at this point. 
Yeah, that's what caused me to start looking up the life of Elvis was when she showed up in the movie, and I'm like, well, I thought that his wife was a child when he met her. Isn't there something weird about that? And I started looking it up, and then, I don't know, they, again, they really cleaned it up for the movie. Um, Like I said, I think they, that John Carpenter drew attention to it a couple times in these real fucking subtle ways, like him dropping her off at the school, right? And then later... They, after they've been buried for a while, they're having a discussion. She goes, you remember the time when we were sitting out on the porch and I told you I was sick of it? I was like, I'm 18 and I feel like an old woman. And it's like, wait, wait. <laughs> this, <laughs> this story's taking place after they've been together for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just it's... don't come right out and say, oh, I'm 14. So, I, part of me thinks like, audience is like well maybe she was like 17 i don't know i mean that's still not great but i mean that's not horrible but i feel like if you say oh i'm 14 the audience is like what that's insane this is garbage yeah i because from what i read too and they don't this isn't in the movie at all but like it was like when he convinced the dad to let priscilla move it's like he told the dad oh she'll be staying with my parents in a different house I own, like right near me, but then that wasn't true and stuff. And it's all very creepy, weird. Yeah. And their daughter yeah, grew up and married Michael Jackson. Somewhere fancy. <laughs> it's. Yeah, I don't know, at it's least like Lisa was. Lisa like great balls of fire. They were just like, yeah, she's thirteen. Also, his cousin's daughter. Yeah, makes her his second cousin. Yeah, it was gross and weird. And then they just yeah. kind of move on, which is fine. The other thing is in in that movie was that they showed people protesting it. I don't know if they like I don't know if anybody did protest Elvis or not for this, <laughs> but they don't address that at all. Like, how did the public oh. react to this idea that he because they they take time to point out like oh don't worry his career wasn't negatively affected by joining the military but do they address the fact that he used his position in the military to uh to secure a child bride it's weird (laughs) and again it's like because it's even creepier and that's so like as we're saying it it's like it's one thing if you look at like okay so say there's like some guy in his 20s and he was dating a much younger girl and you're like okay well i think that's wrong but maybe time and place but it was never okay to like fly a girl over from Europe. Like that would be weird, even if she was of age, right? Like you call her dad and say, "Can you put her on a plane and send her over to me?" And the dad's like, "I guess." Like that's <laughs> like if she was twenty-one, I'd still find that fucking creepy. Oh, like, did you, did you guys ever watch Adventure Time? No, no. Okay, so you have no idea who Lemon Grab is. All I hear is lemon grabbing my head going, unacceptable conditions! Unacceptable! Yeah. (laughs) So, and then they also kind of uh, seem to whitewash his relationship with uh, Colonel Parker as well. Yeah. Because he did do a lot for Elvis' career, but then he kind of ran the Elvis brand into the ground. And then when he got rid of Colonel Parker, that's when it seemed to like ramp back up again. Yeah. It's interesting. There's no like, at some point in this movie, Colonel Parker is just gone from the narrative. Like they don't even mention him. 
Nope, it just disappears. <laughs> Once again, it's weird. It's almost like everything negative. They just go, no, yeah. that's not that's not happy. That's got to yeah. be Well, because the thing is, you could... Because there are times where Elvis is the villain. There's also times where he's the victim. Like, at the end, when he's all drugged up, and he's they're still throwing him out on stage. Like, I don't know who's directly involved, but somebody's got to be booking those concerts. And if they were decent human beings, they would just go, look, we're not going to set up another tour until you're healthy enough to do it. And instead they did and said they were just like, like there are apparently like there are moments in his real life where he just like, like a limo would pull up and he would just like fall out onto the ground and people would just help him up. And then he'd walk into there and they just let him go on stage. Like you'd using whatever he was using to keep him, I guess, amphetamines. Um, to keep himself like awake for the show kind of thing. And I'm just like, yeah, like you could do that and say like, here's a warning about why you should keep your, you know, your, your friends around you rather than just people who are just looking to make money off you and stuff. But they just, they don't want to do any of that in this movie. No. All I'm imagining is them being like, okay, Elvis, you're not healthy. We're taking you home and you're going to recover for six months. And him being like, you can't tell me what to do, man. I know karate. <laughs> Just like drunken and stonedly kicking and chopping at people. <laughs> Random side note, the karate in this movie is fucking terrible. <laughs> it's just... Uh, have you ever seen the videos of him doing the karate stuff? No, I have not. Accurate, I don't intend to. Accurate to life. Is it really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the weirdest fucking things. I don't, I don't fucking get it. It's like... Fucking embarrassing. You watch him do karate stuff and you're like, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Why, who, who ever thought this was okay? How did his fans not go, oh, that is, that is embarrassing? <laughs> I, I do feel like it's the equivalent to the guy in the 80s that has like nunchucks and he's like, I know kung fu, and flips his nunchucks around and then hits himself in the balls and like goes <laughs> over. Like that seems like the equivalent of what Elvis's karate is. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. Maybe it's just it's just probably again though that's probably a scenario where somebody probably should have said look if you want to get it really into karate you should go get into karate and quit doing this in public because it's <laughs> embarrassing. Imagine imagine an alternate universe where Steven Seagal is actually like really charismatic and talented, right? <laughs> I, I don't but, have that kind of imagination. But, sorry. but his <laughs> but his fight scenes are still done the exact same way. <laughs> like he still does. Just weird slow punches. That's that's what I feel like every time I see Elvis do karate. Be like, no, you're you've got all these talents. Stop being weird and doing karate. You're a grown ass man, you fucking weirdo. Yeah, but I think they do address that he just gets bored, and that's that's where all that shit comes from. He's like, oh, I love karate, and even like when they're talking about his uh, his sort of comeback in Vegas when they're trying to set stuff up, and he's like, oh man, I don't want to wear a tuxedo. I want something loose fitting like a gi or something it's just like what are you doing you're not wearing a karate gi up on the stage well maybe it'll be a jumpsuit then it's just like oh jesus christ <laughs> yeah which apparently uh amphetamines and karate were both things he picked up at the military yes and apparently <laughs> like from what I've read, too, is like he would not only did he use amphetamines, but he would like preach to people about how good they were and how how, how much they helped you do things, including lose weight, which is hilarious because the more he did, the fatter he got. <laughs> uh, 
for people who don't know, amphetamines are the precursor to meth. <laughs> it's just the, the legal <laughs> version of meth is basically all it is. So that's what Elvis was doing the last part of his life. And it's mm -hmm. sad that doctors were giving him that drug. They should not have been. No. And the funny thing is I found this quote because uh, Cassandra Peterson, better known as Elvira, yeah. uh, met Elvis when he was working in Vegas because she was a showgirl. And she said, uh, he was so anti-drug when I met him. I mentioned to him that I smoked marijuana, and he was just appalled. He said, don't ever do that again. Presley was not only deeply opposed to recreational drugs, he also rarely drank. Several of his family members have been alcoholics, a fate he intended to avoid. Yeah. So I think you're right, where it's like he kept getting drugs from doctors. Like, well, I get this from doctors, so it's okay. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not bad stuff, so I can take as much as I want. No, and I mean, Elvis is certainly not the only person to fall prey to that, especially like now in 2018. Like, mm -hmm. I think that would be a really interesting message to have in a movie, showing it happening to someone as like powerful as Elvis. And yeah. then you just have like, imagine what happens when you start prescribing opioids to just an average Joe who hurt his back at work and just needs to get up and go back to the, you know, whatever factory. Um, you can completely understand how it ruins people's lives. Well, totally. And, you know, it's, it's, you figure it's basically what killed Elvis. It's what killed Michael Jackson as well. Um, hopefully we won't be doing a Michael Jackson biography because I don't want to get into those discussions. But, um, tasteless joke. The movie should be called Requiem for an Elvis. <laughs> Good Lord. You know, but, but I mean, like, again, there's, there's all this interesting stuff that you could talk about, and this movie's just mm -hmm. not interested in that. And therefore, I'm not really interested in this movie. I think some stuff has been covered in other movies because I thought I might have seen this, but I couldn't remember because I was really young. And then I looked at the date. And I'm like, oh, this came out the year I was born. So this probably definitely wasn't the one I saw. <laughs> um, but I feel like there was one that talked a lot about the deal between him and Priscilla and sort of that whole thing. But I don't obviously now I don't know which which one that one was called. There's certainly yeah. more than one movie about the life oh, yeah, of Elvis. Yeah. I think there's one called Elvis and Priscilla. So that was probably the one I saw. Yeah, but I don't. I haven't seen it or can't yeah. comment on it really. But mm. probably after her book came out, I know she wrote a book. Yeah. Or, and it, the one where she kind of says that like he raped her, and then like when people are like he raped you, and she's like, well, let's not use that word. I was probably I probably shouldn't have written it in such strong language, uh, mm. and you're like, okay, but again, yeah. Ew. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> don't send me clips of Elvis doing karate. I'm trying to record a podcast right now. <laughs> you need it in your life, Doug. Embarrassing <laughs> oh, Elvis videos. Him doing karate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch it later. <laughs> uh, Noah, what did you ultimately think of the movie? Me and Doug have kind of said what we thought of it overall. I, mean, but... I, th I think I'm on the same page as you guys. It's not a bad movie. It's it's fine for what it is. It's a little bit too long. Mm. And by a little bit too long, I mean it's like an hour and a half too long. Yeah. <laughs> Considering it doesn't even go all the way up to his death or anything. Yeah, it doesn't go up to his death. And fucking, it just, so much time is wasted with the music performances over and over and over and over and over in this movie. Uh, 
And like I said, and, and my biggest complaint is if you take all the negative stuff out, there's no fucking drama. I mean, the biggest drama we get in the entire movie is whenever he gets mad at one point and throws a lamp because mm-hmm. they they edited one of his songs in a way he didn't like. Like they were like, "Look at how horrible Elvis's life was." <laughs> one time they edited a song and brought his vocals forward instead of balancing it the way he preferred. <laughs> He too, he too suffered. He too suffered. And they, well, they did also seem to try to insinuate that the big problems between him and Priscilla was that she was mad because his friends were over all the time. Right. That was pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> and and he did he planned a music uh, concert tour without checking with her first. Yeah, but, I mean, she was married to a guy who was a musician for a living, so she must have <laughs> predicted at some point in the future he was going to go on tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, their biggest problem was she wasn't getting enough Elvis. That was <laughs> their <laughs> relationship issue. I mean, regardless of the fact that both of them were sleeping with other people. Yeah. Raises questions about that other guy that was sleeping with the underage girl who, and who was married to somebody else. That's weird. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I think Noah raised a really good point. When you take the negatives out of the movie where's the tension like it's not like we don't know that elvis is going to get rich and famous he's elvis right yeah so we're just watching like kind of elvis's greatest hits and i don't know why we need a fake version of that agreed agreed as well yeah so it's like a really well-made movie that i have no interest in watching yeah i would say it's probably worth it especially if you're a kurt russell fan it's worth a once over just to see how because he really does. He fucking falls right into that Elvis role, and it's creepy. It's creepy I mean, how good he is at it. I sort of feel like he's just being Kurt Russell, and they gave him an Elvis haircut, and that's <laughs> about all it took. Yeah, there was a moment in the movie where they're, they basically are talking about how obsessed with his hair he is, like, at the beginning. Yeah. Like, even, like, a bunch of bullies are, like, making fun of him for doing his hair. And they're like, we're going to cut it. They're all going to hold him and like use scissors to cut his hair or whatever. And I'm just like, why is he so obsessed with his hair? Like, everybody had hair like that. And then I had to like remind myself, like, well, it was the 50s. Like, probably everybody had hair like that because of Elvis. Yeah, everybody had hair like that after Elvis got famous. Not before. Yeah. Yeah, I had, to, I had to remind myself that a couple times. Yeah, I like, I do like the fact that they were like, it's a TV movie. We don't want to scream slurs about homosexuals, so the Mississippi people are just going to keep talking about the fact that he's from Squirrel Town. <laughs> when clearly what their intention is is that they're <laughs> screaming sexual epithets at him. That's, yeah. It's clever. It, it really is clever, but I mean, it's not subtle in the slightest that you get with no. their what they're doing in in there were there were times like that where i sort of felt like maybe the writers or this the i don't want to say studio people but whatever you call studio people from the tv station like maybe they were saying like tone it down and then you bring in a guy like john carpenter who's going to want to ramp stuff like that up and you could maybe see that tension forming in those scenes where it's like if they had just let john carpenter write the script he would have just been having them yell things that you would have would have prevented this from being on television Right. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah. So 
Yeah, I think overall, if you're a John Carpenter or Kurt Russell and or both fan, it's worth a once watch, but mainly just as sort of a um, uh, an oddity in both of their filmography. Yeah, or if you're super horny for Elvis, that too, I guess. Yeah, like if you're if you're interested in this type of movie, it's well made. I just again, I find it very difficult to care about a fluff piece like this. I even complained about like complained about documentaries I see that are kind of overly praiseworthy. I think I had a rant one time about the Ric Flair documentary on this very podcast. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just don't I don't see the point in those types of things. If you already love the guy, then why do you need to watch this? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think, you know, if you're a fan of Kurt Russell, here's one of his early performances. If you're a fan of John Carpenter, you can see him perfecting his craft here. This is, you know, Previous to this, he pretty much just made Halloween as far as uh, things people have seen. Mm-hmm. And you can see him using some of the same techniques from Halloween here uh, in completely different ways, which is interesting. Especially the part where Elvis stabs Priscilla to death with a kitchen knife. Yeah. I mean, clearly. <laughs> it's that, you know, that cutting away to the knife coming down like that. <laughs> Spoilers. Twist ending! <laughs> the same doctor that was giving him the amphetamines shoots him six times he falls off the Graceland balcony and then he's just gone (laughs) it's cute the newspaper reels talking about how Elvis has faked his death and is probably still alive and it was Colonel Parker that shot him yeah (laughs) he's like I shot him six times you gotta do it with a southern accent though Brian go (laughs) Um, I can do that I know I can't. That's why I'm making you do it. I was um, trying to think of the mechanics of how to do that. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> uh, I had a joke about how 2019 is 40 years after this movie, so it'll be the big comeback where we find out that um, Elvis was actually arrested shortly after falling off the balcony, but it's not important. <laughs> Elvis, Elvis 2-0. <laughs> uh, well, anything else before we move on? To the actual true story of all this? No, I think that's it. Yeah, I think we've made our point and probably just mostly complained about Elvis more than the movie, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, well, Doug, why don't you tell us about the true story of Elvis? Well, the true story of Elvis, of course, is that uh, right around the time that this documentary um, implies that Elvis's life was going downhill, Elvis himself recognized that that was the problem. So he did the only logical thing you could possibly do, and he switched he switched identities with an Elvis impersonator. Um, the only problem being that while Elvis was enjoying his life as Sebastian Half, he accidentally burned up the contract that would have allowed him to switch back to being the real Elvis. In a tragic barbecuing accident. Exactly. In, in this trailer park where he lived. Um, and then... Uh, even even more problems arose when he, while performing an Elvis imper- uh, impersonation concert, fell off and broke his hip and was, uh, I believe he was incapacitated at the time that the other Elvis died. So now he was stuck and nobody would believe that he was the real Elvis. Uh, he ends up living in a retirement home full of uh, rather depressive and uh, unhappy people. 
including like his uh, his roommate who passed away and whose pretty hot daughter came to pick up his stuff and <laughs> wanted to throw his purple heart in the garbage. If the if that element of the story is true, that part's a little far fetched. So I don't know that might have been added for dramatic flair to the Bubba Hotep script. So um, old, Jesus. So then, uh, eventually, uh, there's some weird bugs that attack the old folks' home, and Elvis has to team up with a black man claiming to be John F. Kennedy to fight the mummy that has sent those uh, has sent those bugs and is basically sucking the souls out of these elderly people because they don't have the power power to fight back. And uh, they're successful in destroying the mummy, but unfortunately they both die in the process. Uh, important plot point, sucking the souls out of the old people through their butts. Well, through any any <laughs> opening, however, the butt is the one that he goes for when attacking Jack, yes. Yeah, it is not a choice. So that is, that is the true story. Um, of course, this film, another great horror director, Don Cassarelli, mm-hmm. um, brought this one to life it really does delve into more of the it, it doesn't gloss over all of the negative aspects the way the other movie did it discusses the impotence that elvis was suffering and the fact that he had quote unquote a growth on his pecker <laughs> um which a very sassy nurse had to <laughs> lube up every day for some reason i don't know why she had to put lube on it every day but <laughs> She says it's a cream, but I'm like, that doesn't look like a cream. It looks like KY jelly. Yeah, it looks like it's the kind uh, of cream that you get college girls to wrestle in at a party. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, typically, that kind of stuff is what you have to apply if you have open wounds or open sores to keep uh, bacteria and stuff. So that implies he's got gross and open <laughs> That's not, yeah. what growth, that's not what a growth is, though. Like it would, like if it was like because you're you're thinking of like a polysporin or something. But that's well, not... they do say it has pus, so it must be open at some point. Now I'm just picturing some weird one of those like Doctor Pimple videos where they Ooh. squeeze oh. his cock into <laughs> pus pus. Oh. No, no, fat Alice Doctor Pimple video. No, <laughs> where they squeeze his dick and a bunch of white stuff comes out. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> well, there's there's two different types of video you're describing right now, Brian. I, I was only talking about one of them. Uh, <laughs> All right, so that that gets us through the basic plot description of Bobo Hotep. Somebody wanted to say what they thought of it. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, I was super happy to get to watch it again because I haven't watched it in a while, and I enjoyed it. Noah. I still like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I unfortunately think I will have to say, uh, upon rewatching it, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it the first time I watched. Like I think the enjoyment level went down, which is not. What do you do? You think? Can you think of why that would be? Like what? Where's I'm not. I'm not sure. Just... I, I I think, I think the just overall quality of the film. I think the first time I watched it, I was just so excited to see Bruce Campbell playing Elvis that I, I made the movie better in my head than the movie actually is. It's still fun. Like, if if you were the type of person that wants to see a movie where Bruce Campbell plays Elvis and fights a goddamn mummy in a cowboy hat, you're gonna like the movie. Like, And I do. I like the movie. It's 
it's all of those things. I just think the actual quality of the film is a little lower than I remember it being. See, I'm going to be the opposite of you. I actually, the first time I saw this, I was super excited because it is Bruce Campbell playing Elvis. And that is like, it's funny because like when you hear, oh, Kurt Russell played Elvis, you're like, oh, that's perfect casting. And you're like, now Bruce Campbell's going to play Elvis. You're like, that's, that's just even better. It's literally like number one and two in the best people ever to play Elvis. Um, and so I'm like, and like watching it now and be, trying to watch it with like a little bit more of a critical eye, I actually think this movie is just genius. And it's just, there's so many moments in it. Like when the Ozzie Davis's character is like trying to convince everybody that he's John F. Kennedy. And Bruce Campbell's like, you know, uh, President Kennedy was a white man right and he's like yeah they dyed me this color that's how sinister they are and i'm like that is a fucking genius line of dialogue <laughs> it's delivered perfectly and i like i didn't remember it i remember he thinks he's a white guy but he's actually black but then a couple of seconds like i think it's like the next scene like where elvis and again i i totally believe that that's elvis just <laughs> but i'm completely skeptical of, of the other guy being jfk and then all of a sudden there's the scar in the back of his neck and you're like oh, or is he what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> in, in a world where like a mummy was stolen and the and then the bus that it was being driven in crashed, and so now it wears cowboy hat and sucks souls out of people's asses, is dying JFK black so far fetched? It might not be. Maybe this is what's really happening. I think the whole thing that's supposed to make it feel far fetched is that every time he says something about it, it gets more and more ridiculous. Like the first time, you know, it's like, they dyed me black. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know, they removed my brain, replaced it with a bag of sand. My brain is actually in a jar in the White House being broadcast to my body somehow. <laughs> and see, I agree with you. And I think that that just makes the movie even smarter. I think yeah. this movie, like, it's a ridiculous, dumb concept. There's a lot of stupid humor in it. Um and then I think it's it's actually one of those movies that works on a smarter level as well. I think those jokes are great. I think you could you could see this as just like the I think even my first watch through, I just assumed that the guy was nuts and believed himself to be Elvis. But now that I take this as being the true story of Elvis's last few years, which I wholeheartedly will argue with anyone who tries to tell me that this isn't what happened, I just like I I think the movie is so much smarter on that level. And I love that it just plays up on this like old like conspiracy theory about Elvis that none of us used to believe until this movie came out. And I, I think it's it's just fantastic. And I like the final fight scene is, especially the performance from Bruce Campbell is just so fun to watch him like when he like when he falls down that hill on that uh, wheelchair and he's trying to figure out how to make that makeshift flamethrower work and everything. I'm just like this is great. And that, like, that final moment when he looks up and he's seeing, like, the stars and everything's kind of making sense to him for the first time in a long time, and he's feeling like a man, like, we see that that's kind of his his character arc, is he's just sort of beaten and laying there waiting to die at the beginning of the movie. And we get, I mean, one of the funnier moments is when he finally pops a boner for the first time, which is putting <laughs> that cream on him and stuff. But we see that he's, like, he's feeling alive again, because now he's got this challenge, this mummy in front of him. And this, it's kind of brought him back to uh, back to being the old king. And then he finally, like, now he's like, he's comfortable dying because he came back to life, if that makes any sense. And he gives that final, thank you, thank you very much. And then he just 
fades off, and I'm like, that's a really touching moment. Uh, I just this movie is so much better than it has any right to be. Did uh, I remember to mention that uh, Reggie Bannister is the guy that runs the nursing home? Oh yeah, <laughs> one of one of my favorite people popping up. <laughs> I love Reggie Bannister. <laughs> the fu- the funny thing is he. Unlike a lot of like horror icons, like you know, Bruce Campbell's or Clint Howard's or people like that, most of them are so fucking easily recognizable. And I feel like Reggie Bannister is one of the ones that you you like see his face and you go, "Wait, don't I know that guy?" <laughs> and then it takes you a second. And you're like, "Oh shit, it's Reggie." I know that guy. This is the guy that works down at the hardware store. Yeah, like that's what you would think, and then you'd be like, "Oh fuck, it's that guy from Phantasm." Okay. It's Reggie, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this movie. I mean, it's it's fun. It's as fun. I think it's as much fun as a movie can be without going over the cliff of becoming like a Leslie Nielsen movie. <laughs> I would agree with that. It it approaches those moments where there's the like the slapstick comedy scenes with the uh, I don't know what they are like coroners or whatever they're picking yeah. up the bodies every time somebody dies and that like there's one where they accidentally drop the body over the balcony and the guys to jump into the bush to retrieve it and stuff and you're just like like those two idiots approach ridiculous um, but because they're a minor part of the story I think it's fine yeah yeah I would say there's just the whole thing is that this movie's got a whole bunch of scenes in it that are just fucking fantastic uh Bruce Campbell Elvis fighting the scarab beetle in his room <laughs> with the bedpan is one of the best fucking things ever. Which, because uh, I watched the documentary on the nice Scream Factory Blu-ray after I watched this movie. And uh, Don Coscarelli said he basically put that scene in to pander to uh, Bruce Campbell fans because he's like, this is like a totally like Evil Dead scene of just sure it is. Bruce facing down against something flying at his face. Like, and then the uh, the boner scene, which which Doug referenced earlier, is it's it's amazing how like it's hard to explain to people that yes, it's a boner joke. You know, I get it. Like, but at the same time, if you put it in the context of it's an old guy who hasn't had a boner in years, two presidential uh, elections, he mentions. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, that is such a positive moment in the movie that people just don't get it where he's just like, ah, oh, fuck, I got a boner. Yeah! <laughs> this is the best thing ever. And and, and I could imagine what that would feel like if you were completely impotent for that long and being like, yeah, I got a boner! Woo! <laughs> I'm gonna go kill that fucking mummy. I got a boner. I'm going to go kill that fucking mummy. That should be the tagline <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. So good. I did, uh, like I said, I watched some of the special features. Bruce Campbell talked about how they brought an Elvis impersonator in to kind of work with him on his Elvis impersonation. Yeah. To which he said it lasted about 20 minutes, and the guy told him he was never going to get it and just left. Wow. <laughs> Really? Because I think Bruce Campbell's really good in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They pretty much told him like his impersonation was awful, and he was never going to get it. So he's like, "There's no point in continuing this, and I will leave now." 
because that's one of the comments I was going to make about the movie is that Bruce Campbell is really doing a good job of playing Elvis rather than playing Bruce Campbell. Because he quite often he just plays himself in movies, and that's fine. Like that's yeah. like that's what he does, and that's great. But in this movie, he really is playing a very different character. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny to hear that that random guy disagreed with me. <laughs> yeah, Coscarelli also said they wanted to portray Elvis with some dignity in the movie. So that's why there is kind of all this positivity around Elvis, especially him like regaining like his confidence and stuff. And then essentially going out as like a badass superhero by the end of the movie after killing off a mummy. Yeah. No, but I think it's that the, the kind of the story about the old guy who thinks his life is over and then he gets one last chance to be a hero. That's not a yeah. new idea. No. And to take it and make it Elvis. I mean, the movies from 2002, Elvis would be an old guy in, in 2002. That makes sense, right? So it, it's kind of nice to have him have that little last hurrah to know that he beat those demons that um, the last movie wouldn't even talk about. Uh, I think it all. I think that all works on on a on a lot of different kind of levels. Where it's like, yeah, the slapstick comedy stuff works. I think the story about this character's redemption and acceptance of his place in the world works. I think that you know. The, the mummy is kind of a good horror icon looking thing. It's a different take on a mummy a little bit. Mm-hmm. Everything in this movie works the way you expect it to work. Yeah. I don't I don't think we brought it up. So there's also the the Lone Ranger guy who Kimasabi? Yeah, Kimasabi. <laughs> who uh Elvis Campbell describes, you know, that he was basically one of his friends in there that kind of slowly has slid into dementia and is just gone. But even he kind of gets that. Yeah. He goes out in a pretend blaze of glory, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it's pretend. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, because what I mean, I guess what we discover is the mummy eats the souls of old people, and he can essentially hangs out near this retirement home because there's always new people coming in. He'd come in, eat a couple people over a couple days, and then be good for a little bit. But essentially, shits out like whatever you know his mummy body doesn't need, and they surmise that then that means if he steals, if he eats your soul, then he shits out the rest of it, so your soul doesn't exist anymore. So you, you know, don't go to heaven, hell, or however you want to think about it, but just that you become nothing because this mummy ate you. So yeah, Kimosabe gets like gets his little cap guns out and he's shooting and stuff and they did mention that he gets to die sort of with dignity. He gets to die with his soul intact rather than being digested by a mummy. It was kind of nice to see him go down in a place of glory as well. Um, it was, it was, it, it was, again, it walked that line. It was funny to watch a guy with cap guns shooting at a mummy. But it was kind of a nice touch that like Bruce Campbell's friend gets to die with dignity and with mm respect rather than just being having a soul sucked out his ass like so many others <laughs> well that's what i'm saying and it might be this 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 reference may be a little over the top but i think it's apt it's almost like a, a don quixote has moment <laughs> you know what i mean that is that is kimosabi you know tilting a windmill if that makes sense in which he does technically he won he drove off the mummy that would have got him 
with his cap guns and just anger, you know, <laughs> and then die. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's I think it's actually a really good moment. I think it's it's a good example of what's great about this movie working on those multiple levels. Because a lot of people will watch this, and probably I did the first time I saw this, and just laugh at the old guy with the guns. Right? That's that's funny. But then it works on that deeper level as well. Yeah, I mean, Don Coscarelli has always said, like, this movie is about getting old and just sort of what that means. And especially for some of these old people that just get put in nursing homes that nobody pays attention to. And just being able to pass away with dignity and fight off mummies. And Now, do you guys think it's weird that so you, throughout this movie we get to see several people's rooms in the nursing home? Yeah, and Elvis's room is a shithole. Like it, it's one of those things you're like, oh, they dumped him in this peeling wall, uh, gross horror movie asylum looking nursing home. But then every time they show someone else's room, they're all real nice. <laughs> Like JFK's rooms are like huge and private, and then even the uh, the crazy lady who's stealing all the chocolates and stuff who gets uh, mummy fucked and dies. <laughs> but even her room is like kind of semi private and nicer. Well, I think the, I think part of that is the fact that Bruce Campbell's Elvis Presley character is just there waiting to die. Right? He's not bothering to decorate his room. He's not bothering to go to do that and he also has because he's given up his life he has no one to come and visit him and no one to bring him things so that's why his room is like that I do like I I like the weird the little uh, semi hypocritical conversation he has with the guy's daughter who's throwing out the medals and stuff where he's like giving her shit of you know you you could have come visit and you know what I mean you could have come and seen him and he didn't have to be alone and all the and it's like, you abandoned your wife and child just to go <laughs> fucking live in a trailer. Fucking yeah. Shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> but again, if we look at it from it being on, on multiple levels, that's also kind of them looking back and saying, okay, here's a guy who walked away from his life, and now that he's laying there alone and stuff, maybe he's realizing that that was not the right thing to do, and he should have done something differently. Yeah, I know and we also got a uh, hieroglyphic, uh, d- dirty bathroom stall writing, <laughs> which is probably the best joke of the entire. <laughs> Cleopatra <laughs> does the nasty. <laughs> yeah, this this <laughs> translates roughly as Cleopatra does the nasty. <laughs> what was the other one? It's like Ramesses eats boogers or something like that. <laughs> uh. This shit, ridiculous shit. <clears throat> um, that's something else I was trying to remember, but happens a lot. I need to end up in this nursing home with my early yeah. onset Alzheimer's. It's a good spot for you because, from what I understand, you'll you'll die, but you'll get to go in a blaze of glory fighting a mummy, <laughs> and it'll all work to your advantage in the long run. Well, that's good. Uh, either one of you ever read the the novella this is based off of? No. No. I read it a while ago. I remember it being pretty decent, but it's been too long for me to actually remember it. But I was hoping one of you had read it. No, I, uh, believe it or not, didn't think this story would work as well on the page. 
I feel like if you take Bruce Campbell out of this, I don't enjoy it nearly as much. So, um, were you either of you ever excited by the concept of a sequel? Oh yeah. When it when at first when when Cascarelli and uh, Bruce Campbell were both on board for like it's not like Bubba Nosferatu or something was the rumor. Uh, Bubba Nosferatu, Curse of the She Vampires. Yeah, see, like that's a super exciting idea to me, and. I remember hearing about it and getting all worked up about it, and then eventually Bruce Campbell making the announcement that he was walking away from the project, and that's where I was just like, yeah, we're done here. (laughs) Yeah, so if you watch the movie, at the end, there's a little thing, you know, Elvis will return in Bubba Nosferatu, blah, 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 which uh, Don Coscarelli just put in as a joke. Like, there was no... Oh, that's actually in there, like, the credits? Yeah, like, at the very end of the credits. Like, I've only ever watched, like, I don't think I've ever watched the credits. Uh, yeah, it says uh, Elvis Elvis returns in Baba Nosferatu, Curse the She-Vampires. And then at the very bottom it says starring Sebastian Half. Which is kind of funny. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, he just put that in as a joke. And then uh, in the special features I was watching, uh, he was talking about the first, like, big public screening they were doing is they were waiting, him and Bruce were waiting off to the side, waiting for the credits to finish, and they were going to come out and do a Q&A. And then when that popped up on the screen, the entire theater just went apeshit. So he's like, well, fuck. Now I guess I, I kind of have to make it happen. <laughs> it's just supposed to be a joke. And then, uh, yeah, it seems like he wrote a script. Uh, Bruce Campbell didn't like it, and he basically even on the special features on this disc, they sort of talk about it a little bit where Bruce said that, you know, he just didn't really like the script and the part that Don thought was like the best part was the part that he thought was the worst part. And they just could not meet in the middle anywhere. So he just like walked away from it. And then, uh, and then Don said that basically, yeah, they just couldn't meet on anything, but, that Bruce said he would, he might still be open to doing it someday. And if they wait long enough, he won't have to have makeup on anymore. He could just be old Elvis. According to Wikipedia, Ron Perlman at one point was thinking about taking over the role of Elvis, which is, yeah. I don't like that. But I do. But, I, but from the same, uh, from the Ron same Wikipedia, like four inches taller than Bruce Campbell. <laughs> yeah, actually, I heard Ron Perlman's actually very short. Looks tall. In Hellboy makeup, he looks tall. I assume that yeah. that's. <laughs> I assume that that's exactly uh, exactly accurate to his appearance. <laughs> Go back and watch episodes of Beauty and the Beast from the '80s and see if he was actually tall or not. Um, and the other thing I was going to bring up, oh, that Don basically gives you sort of uh, that the second movie was going to start right after the end of the first movie. So, unfortunately, it would have undone Elvis's dramatic death scene where the oh, nurse, really? yeah, the nurse would have came and found him laying, you know, down by the creek or whatever and would have revived him. And then he essentially would have told her a story of when he was younger fighting vampires at some point, either in the hospital or something. I don't know. But that's pretty much all he said about it. There was obviously going to be other stuff, but I was a little bummed that it would have undone his uh, dramatic death scene. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. 
as much as I would have been excited for a sequel, I, watching this movie now, it's kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how a sequel recaptures the magic of this movie. So yeah. I wonder if we're better off without it. Probably are. Probably a good idea. I don't said maybe the sequel would have been awesome and it would be sad to get out. So whatever. Yeah. No, we'll never know unless uh, they actually do it when Bruce is like 60 something. And then, uh, so it looks like Ron Perlman and Bruce Campbell, according to IMDb, are the same height, which is 6'1. Huh. I'm, I'm glad we solved that mystery because that yeah. was really important. Right? <laughs> we go down the weirdest rabbit holes on this podcast because I'm not sure that it would matter at all if they were different heights. Yeah. I don't it's not like about. at any point in time they would have been standing beside each other, both in Elvis costumes. <laughs> Definitely not hunched over over their walker. I kind of feel disappointed that there's never been a point that they both have been in Elvis costumes standing side by side. Just needs to happen just because. It just seems like a photo op that is that's that's a good one. If any of our listeners who know how to make that happen or just Photoshop the shit out of it and confuse us, uh let us know. Or even the reverse, with them both in Hellboy gear. Bruce Campbell with his big old chin. <laughs> it's just one guy has a giant fist, the other guy has a giant chin. That's their <laughs> that's the competition. It's the chin of doom. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod, or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, no feedback this week. Uh... But uh, we did watch some more movies, and I know there's one that we all watched. So, uh, how did everybody feel about Bandersnatch? Um, Not everybody all at once. Well, I mean, you're, first of all, you're calling it a movie. It's not really that. Um, a collection of scenes that are interchangeable? A collection of interchangeable scenes where you get to pick which one comes next, but not really. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. Um kind of a neat experiment mm-hmm. I, I thought i was surprised at how black mirror it was i thought tagging the black mirror name on it was just to trick me into watching it um <laughs> but i liked like just the very fact that you're watching a choose your own adventure movie about a guy making a choose your own adventure video game about a choose your own adventure book is yeah. just those that many levels in there but there was a lot of moments too like if you pick the wrong thing and you die real early your final thing you'll get to watch is a guy doing a review of the video game talking about how it was way too short. I thought stuff like that was pretty funny. Um, one of the things I really liked was if, because it would do this thing for people who haven't seen it, um, it's like, okay, do you want to go back and make a different choice so that you don't get the 20-minute version of this movie? And when you go back and do the different choice, it, um, it'll retell the story in a quick fashion. But it'll change certain little things, almost like the characters are having deja vu. And there's actually lines of dialogue where they say, deja vu is your chance to make the same decision over again. And you're like, oh, yeah, right. And now you're giving me that. And it's kind of really, really in-depth in that way. Um, so I, Stuff like that was really cool. It's actually more co- co- complex than that. 
because yeah. in the same run, when you go back to the decision, if you make the same decision again, instead of choosing the other one, it changes. It's yep. not the same. So, like, the, the amount of iterations that this thing has is just insane. Because I've done it, like, six times and found new stuff every time. Yeah, and I like the fact that some of the decisions seem to have impact and some don't. Because it, what it does is it causes me to get all stressed out and freak out when I have to, like, pick which song he's going to listen to. And I'm pretty sure that it doesn't matter which song he listens to. <laughs> um, so stuff like that really worked for me. I also liked the, I, I don't know if you guys got to this one, but there's a point where you can just tell the guy that, hey, we're being you're being watched on Netflix and I'm controlling you from the future because the thing is set in the 80s. And he starts freaking out and asking, what the hell is Netflix? And you have to decide how to explain it to him and stuff. <laughs> And I fucking loved that part. I that was hilarious. That yeah, it was just, it's just like literally, it's like, well, he's like, who is doing this? Who is making these decisions for me? And then you get the two choices, and I forget what the other one was, and one of them is just a little Netflix symbol. And I'm like, oh, I'm going there. Like, I, I gotta suppose, know. I suppose we should say spoilers. <laughs> Not really, though, because people who watch this could watch it 10 times and never see that scene. So. <laughs> if anything, I was impressed by how smooth it all is. Yeah, like I figured, if you clicked on a you know a choice, that it might have a couple seconds where it's like loading up to you know find make sure that you got the right clip. But man, it just like goes right to the next scene without a problem. Yeah, Very and after experiencing that, the so so this is really cool. Like it, it in and itself, and I'm not like disparaging it in any way, but this is like the foot in the door of something that could just get batshit crazy. I mean, imagine imagine a horror movie where you're making decisions for, like, the final girl and trying to get to the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, that's fucking cool. And it, it gives these this rewatchability thing. And I, I did the math, so if you only have it in a normal length movie, if you only have one decision every 15 minutes, that actually essentially makes 64 different paths to get to the end. And that's without all this weird black mirror-y shit where it folds back on top of itself and repeating the same path can yield different results and stuff. Yeah. But it's just that the, the potential of what this could do, it could be an entire new genre of filmmaking. It's interesting. Um, what I would—I I don't think I want to start seeing these pop up constantly. I think it's an interesting idea to do as a one-off or maybe get one a year kind of thing. Um, but I don't want to start seeing competing ones of these. I don't want them starting pop up in movie theaters or something. Yeah, I don't know if we need to go because <clears throat> wasn't there like choose your own adventure movies? In theaters for a while where like all the people in the theater had like a button or something or they could choose see i don't recall any of that they did they kind of did choose your own they did choose your own adventure stuff on uh like laserdisc but they were so primitive that it was it was almost silly and they did it on vhs and that was just fucking stupid like it was literally it was like fast forward to this mark and it's like jesus <laughs> well, VHS, yeah, it just wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, 
in this one in particular I did find quite interesting and it makes me curious like to see what what would be the next thing but it also makes me fearful that one day we're going to be sitting there and all the fucking teenagers are going to be encouraged to take their phones out and vote on the next thing and it's going to be their way of trying to trick you into seeing the same thing in theaters 10 times and they'll start putting big name actors in them so that the fans of those people will feel obligated to see it and I don't want to live in that world necessarily as much as I enjoyed this going through this the one time. So, so once, once again, spoilers. So, Doug, whenever you did the Netflix ending, did you do both the Netflix endings? No, I just did one. Which which one did you do where you fight the, the doctor? Yeah. And then uh, what I wanted to do was go back because there's different choices to fight the doctor. Because <laughs> uh, there's, they... there's a point where it literally says, like, do you want to get more violent? And the options are yes or fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's but... like... Oh, by the way, that decision doesn't really make any difference. No? Okay. Uh, the one that makes a difference is the one that says jump out the window. That's an entire different ending. It, yeah. It, uh, it's actually a really cool Black Mirror ending where you're like, oh shit, okay. that's weird. There is one point. Okay, we're in huge spoiler territory here. But the one that fucked me up was you get it ends up with two characters standing on a balcony. And the one guy is like, look, man, one of us is going over the edge. I don't care which one. And you have to pick which one. And if you pick, like, the main character, he falls to his death, and that's it. Your show is over. So then you go back, and you start over. And if you pick the other guy, he falls to his death, and that's it. The show's over. <laughs> and it fucking does nothing except for change the little final clip that you get to see. And I'm just like, oh, come on, man. I went through all the effort of coming all the way back here. That's, that's not true. It continues on. Yeah, mine continue on. Not in the version I did. It just oh. it just cut to the video reviewer guy talking about how there's this tragic story about how the guy was in trouble. Weird. Yeah, so again, I think what we're saying here is there are like making the same choices I think can lead to different things depending on whatever. Maybe yeah. it's cause of, maybe it's because of the order I did them in or something. So, so I'm assuming I'm assuming you guys at least once got to the kill dad ending. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that that ending so far, I found eight different endings just from that one choice. Okay, and it because it gets real complicated because you know then it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to hack him up or bury him or something like that? And uh, the the hack him up yields <laughs> what's what's possibly the best ending, I guess, which is weird. But the the barium one, whenever you go to barium, the phone starts ringing, yeah. and I think I think you have to do the chop him up one first because the when you redo the chop him up one, your boss and the other guy try to call you, and then they say the phone's off the hook or something like that. So whenever you do the other choice, the phone starts ringing and you answer it, and uh, it, it'll make them if you haven't killed uh, Colin in the the who's going to jump off the thing part Colin comes over to the house and then there's this choice of whether or not you also kill Colin you know to cover up killing dad you have to go back you have to do that twice so you have to go through the same path again two more times because you have to both kill him and not kill him and then you have to go through the path a third time and this time whenever he answers the phone he'll pick the phone up and hang the phone up just because he's getting frustrated doing the same thing over and over again, <laughs> which pisses off the boss, then the boss comes over. That's a different ending. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. It's yeah. like I don't think I'll ever see all the endings. Like I will one day try to watch this again and do 
make different decisions. But yeah, I, I mean, I've sat there, I've sat there for hours at this point, hours and hours and hours. And, and like I said, every time I fuck with it, I find new stuff because it's this weird. The paths are so fucking complicated. Yeah, I almost feel like I need to have like notes out and start like keeping track of what decisions I made. And did you guys find yourself getting really stressed about the decisions too? Like I kept thinking like, oh, I don't want to do the default thing. And then I'm like, wait a minute, am I always switching to the non-default one? Is this the trick? Or are they trying to get me to always do the non-default one? I'm like, oh, they probably aren't trying to trick me at all because they're Netflix and they don't know who I am. <laughs> they only know me based on my account name. It's like, I, I found myself getting very stressed about those little decisions. <laughs> I didn't. Amanda started taking notes. Oh, yeah? I'm like, do, do we have to take notes? Like, can't we just enjoy the show? How are you going to see all the different versions if you don't? I didn't care. And I'm just like, all right, whatever. So we kind of went through. I wasn't really like super stressed about it. I got, I got, I, I did find myself getting right into it. I, I did post that meme of Jordan Peele though, sweating like crazy on King yeah. Peele, and it's like, what was it like Frosty Pops and whatever cereal? You just yeah. start. Oh shit! I can't decide. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think I didn't really get into it until the second time I did it. Because the first time I don't think I understood. Because, um, like we were talking about the go back thing, I was yeah. like, "Oh, okay, so you don't have to watch the whole thing over again. It lets you go back and try the other paths." Yeah. And the second time I went through it, I just arbitrarily did the same thing twice, just because I was fucking around. And it did something completely different, and I was like, "Oh my fucking god! It's so much. There's so much more. Like, sweet, sweet Jesus!" And then I ended up sitting there for like three and a half hours, fucking with it. And like I said, and every single time I'd find new stuff. I found too that there were a couple of times where I got to the same scene, but when the decision came up, the decisions were different. Yeah, so like, correct. So like the options were different of what you had to pick, and I'm based on, and it's, I'm sure it's based on some previous decision I made, but I don't know what. And it's like, oh Jesus. Well, most of, most of those are based on previous iterations. So whenever you click the go back, you're still in the same run. Yeah, makes sense. So so the, so the decisions you made even after that decision happened affected the previous decision. Yeah. It's really like I said. It's so fucking. I it, it the first time it was a fun novelty thing, but the second time it really greased up the old nerd gears, and I was like, "Oh my fucking god!" They really threw themselves into this. It does feel like there's going to be a meta Black Mirror moment where some guy's going to die just sitting in his chair trying to find every possible ending. <laughs> they're right. going to find him having starved to death with all these like like one of those walls with all the points on it and all these strings tying them all together yeah or did you guys did you guys find the modern day reboot ending no no yeah oh wait yes yes i did yes i did yeah yeah you find some other chick who becomes obsessed with his story in present day you know who it is it's colin's daughter colin's yeah, daughter yeah. In the future making a reboot of the game yeah awesome yeah Apparently there's a monster in one of the endings. Nothing I saw remotely resembled a monster, but I've heard that there's a monster somehow. I mean, Pax, you didn't see Pax at all? The demon? No. Oh, he pops up a few times, depending on which way. I saw the word Pax. like no. P-A-X and P-A-C-S, which are both Pax, so I don't know. Well, P-A-C-S is different. That's programming control. P 
PA access the beam. Okay. Which I will admit, my uh, my mind was kind of blown by the explanation of Pac-Man. Yep. <laughs> I was just like, holy shit, they're not wrong. No, everything they say, and that's one of those ones too where you're like, everything they say, you're like, oh, fucking Black Mirror. Way to go. <laughs> I used to just enjoy playing backpack, man, and now I'll never enjoy it again. <laughs> you're taking that away from me, Black Mirror. If you weren't so good, Black Mirror, you son of a bitch. And I'm, and I'm assuming you guys figured out that the Colin character is also aware yeah. of the decisions, right? Yeah. He seems to figure out, he seems to know, especially if you do the go back thing, he's the one that'll be going, we've been here before, right? Like, and you're like, everybody else is like, no. It's like, yes, you have. Yeah. In one of the ones, in one of the ones where you have to kill him, you're getting ready to stab him, and he's like, "Oh, don't do that. That hurts really, really bad." <laughs> like, like you're just hitting me with something, and he like hands you something. He's like, "Come on, over the head, come on." Just to let everyone understand how effective this is on us, it's we keep saying you keep doing these things. It's not you doing it. It's a character in the show doing it. It's not a first-person perspective or anything. But we've gotten so absorbed in it that we're referring to it as us doing it. He's almost like he's like your weird little Tamagotchi Black Mirror slave. Yeah. In, in which I think that actually kind of comes up in the thing at some point. I'm still figuring out if using the term Black Mirror and slave at the same time. There's some racist element there. I can't quite piece it together. Possibly. Possibly. But yeah, like, like I said, I just want to see what else people can do with this. Because it seems like this this thing that they did has uh, opened a box of new toys that can be played with. In the... It it the one good thing about this is that it's pretty much just Netflix that can do this right now, right? Um, as far as it has to be a streaming service, it has to be someone with the budget to put something like this together. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, Disney's going to have that option. Um, and they'll probably do some kid kid version of it with cartoons or whatever. But it's uh yeah, Disney will be like, we can't, oh, we can't do it. That whatever the Netflix thing is, it's like uh, proprietary. Fuck it, buy Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how, how what what are you gonna do? You're gonna have a a copyright on choose your own adventure storytelling. You you can't, right? <laughs> no, I mean, just like the algorithm of. Right. How to make it work properly? Yeah. Disney will just purchase the rights to the brain of the guy that designed it. <laughs> like sue, sue Netflix for preemptively using it before they own the rights. I just think I just think it's the the amount of things that can be done with it. Imagine imagine like a, a one hour Spider Man movie where <laughs> you get to do this kind of thing and like it changes which villains you end up fighting and stuff. It's pretty awesome. That is an awesome thought. Yeah, there's lots of ways they could go with it. I'm just, I'm afraid, which is probably going to happen, it's going to get oversaturated real quick. That's what I'm concerned. Now, the good news is I've heard that this went way over, like, budget and was way harder than they expected it to be. (laughs) So, perhaps that uh, it uh, won't get overused if it's that difficult, but we'll have to see how many people are watching it and like playing with it yeah like i said my biggest hope is that people are doing it more than once because like i said i don't i don't think i definitely didn't grasp exactly how 
big it was the first time I started fucking with it. No. Well, the first couple times I went through, I kept getting to, like, the really quick endings and getting sent back. But then the first time I hit credits, I'm like, well, I know I've seen memes that I don't know what they mean yet, so I must have missed something. So I started it over again and went through, and I got to another set of credits. And I'm like, well, that's completely different story than the first one I told, even though the opening scenes were the same. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Yeah, because the funny thing is I was reading an article, and the article was like finding the five different endings. And I was like, there are five different endings? I've seen 12. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. I think there's maybe like five different ways to get to the like five different end scenes that lead to credits. So I think that's what they kind of imply is that I was told by a listener that you win if you get to see the credits. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> that, that's I don't think that's true. <laughs> it's a weird reward. Yes, if you haven't watched the Bender Snatch Black Mirror movie on Netflix. Go yeah. check it out. And supposedly uh, they said not to worry that they are you are we are gonna get a complete season five soonish. Yeah. It has been delayed apparently due to the time needed to put this together because this is all written by Charlie Booker who's mm-hmm. in charge of Black Mirror, which is I was relieved to see that because at first I'm like, are they just trying to trick me into watching this? I don't trust these fuckers. <laughs> Can but before we move off of it, can mm-hmm. can we stop and just talk about? So this doesn't have a huge cast, yeah. But the acting in this is so fucking good. Once you break down the fact that they basically had to do the same scenes over and over again with these tiny variations and do them almost exactly the same way, yeah. Yeah, everybody that worked on this had to be like a genius. Because yeah. how to make this seamlessly all work together is just baffling to me. It's yeah, I mean they're better at making movies than we are for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, especially like I think the Colin character because he has to speak so confidently and say things that kind of either contradict or at least are different than what he just said previously. And I guess for them, I mean, for all I know, they were recording those days apart, so he's not saying it so close together. But it's, when you do the, you know, go back and he says something different the next time, you're like, it seems like he just had to say those same things moments apart. Um. All right. What else did you watch, Noah? Uh, I watched Bird Box because yeah. no, nope, everyone won't fucking stop telling me to watch Bird Box. Yeah. Or tell you that it sucks one way or the other. It is passable like it's, it's all right uh i think the people who think that this is a super original movie are are idiots because this movie's been made about a thousand times it's not it's not original like it's just not the the only thing semi-original about it is the the concept of them having to do some horrible things while blindfolded and that's yippy fucking skippy i don't <laughs> that's that's cool that's not a movie but other than that, the rest of the movie is, like I said, the, the story's been told. It's a bunch of people trapped in a house, and oh, they have different personalities. And one guy's an asshole and doesn't want to let other people into the house. Ooh, but whatever will happen. Like, I'm I'm sure something will happen to kill all the people, except for the people that we all know are dead at the beginning of the movie, which 
Well, the movie's all about what happens when people stop being friends and start getting real. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, like uh, I said, it's, it's alright. I think the acting's, the acting's good. I mean, I, I'm typically not a big Sandra Bullock fan, and I like this movie more than most of her movies, so that's... Uh, I have not watched it yet, but I have read the book it's based off of, and it's pretty much how I feel about the book, too. Like, yeah, it's okay. But, yeah. I see all the stuff that people are complaining about, and I was like, yeah, that's straight from the book. And then a lot of people are like, oh, fucking rip it off. Uh, whatever that stupid silent movie was. A Quiet Place. Quiet Place. And I'm just like, no. The book came out a couple oh. years ago. Well, kind of. <laughs> I, oh, think yeah. the, I think the reason why this, this exists is probably of that other movie with a similar theme. Yeah, I don't disagree, but it's at least based on something that pre-exists that movie. <laughs> yeah, but it, I'll tell you what the one of the funny things is for the fact that uh, one of the main premises is that the birds go all crazy when bad things are near, and that's the reason why it's called Bird Box. The that sh- plot device is not used very much <laughs> at all ever. <laughs> Doesn't really come into play. <laughs> which makes it weird and pointless that that is the main focus of even the title of the thing. But it's interesting. I mean, especially if you like dark storytelling, I almost don't like how happy the ending is. Mm. Because the movie feels kind of like a movie like The Road, which, you know, is just kind of supposed to punch you in the dick and be like, it's a good movie, though, isn't it? Punch. The acting's really good, isn't it? Punch. Like, oh, stop punching me in my dick, movie. But instead, this one just punches you in the dick a few times, and then at the end of the movie, it goes, I'm sorry, here's a bag of ice. And you're like, God damn it. I didn't want this. I wanted to live with the pain. (laughs) Yeah. Put Sandra Bullock's in it. I'm just depressed that you brought up The Road. That's enough to depress me about that movie a little bit. Just Just mentioning that The Road exists. I can't wait till I wake up at four in the morning and I'm all sad about the fucking cannibals in that movie. <laughs> I was no no joke. I was talking to a girl I work with about Bird Box, and I and I was trying to compare it to something. And I brought up the road, and she goes, uh, "I've never seen that." And I was like, "Well, do you like depressing movies?" And she goes, "Well, not something super depressing. How depressing is it?" And I was like, "The happiest moment of the entire movie is when the dad finds a warm ass can of Coca Cola, and his child gets to taste Coke for the first time in his life." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "That is utter happiness in that movie." <laughs> and that's that's not even like a close. It's not. There's not a close second to what the. Is it right. that moment or is it the others? The other moment is the moment where the dad has to decide whether or not to shoot his son in the head to save him from the cannibals. Yeah, it's just yeah. a happier moment in that movie. Right. Fuck the road is depressing. <laughs> but it's so good. Now I want to watch it again. It's so good. I want to watch it again. I just need it where like I am allowed to just sit and stare at blank walls the next day. Contemplate life. Oh, it's so sad. I remember having a conversation with somebody after seeing that movie, like right after, and just saying, "Like, I'm so glad we're having a conversation right now because I would not want to be at home alone after seeing that movie for the first time." <laughs> just, 
<laughs> just watching that movie and then just like turning off the TV and you're sitting there in the dark trying to convince yourself to get up and go to bed or whatever. And you're just like, I don't. What's the point? <laughs> there should be some kind of a disclaimer, disclaimer at the beginning of the road that's like, do not watch this alone. Like, have someone over, and then whenever it's done, you have to go outside and go somewhere and have a nice meal. <laughs> and, like, and remember that that we're not all dead yet. We're on the precipice, but we're not there. Like I, I don't, I don't mean to, you know, bring up like common sense gun control reforms, but there should probably be a rule that you can't have a gun in the house while you watch that movie. <laughs> oh yeah. According to your background check, they're like, "Do you own a copy of the road?" And you're like, "Yeah." And they're like, "No gun." <laughs> uh, uh, now we're all sad. Cheer us up with something else, Noah. Um, I'm trying to think if I watched anything else. So, somehow I found out that I missed a bunch of uh, episodes of the IT Crowd, which I don't understand how that's possible because I thought I'd watched that entire series like five times at this point. That's funny that you missed them a bunch of times in a row. You yeah, are that's what I'm them. saying. I don't know if maybe maybe the streaming service that I'd watch it on only had like the first three seasons or something, so I assumed that was the end, and all of a sudden Netflix has the other season. <laughs> well, I'd like to think you missed some of the ones in the middle. Well, they're pretty much all in the last season, so I don't think that's the way it worked. The middle of the last season? Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But if you've never seen the IT crowd, man, that show's fucking funny. It really is. It's uncomfortable and weird. I like it. Um, before, we move, before we move on to Doug, uh, I will say that uh, since we were talking about Bubba Hotep, I felt like I had heard that Joe R. Lansdale possibly wrote a sequel to Bubba Hotep, and I was, so I was looking it up and couldn't really find anything, and then I found that IDW uh, put out a five-issue comic series that's a prequel called Bubba Hotep and the Cosmic Bloodsuckers that Lansdale was involved with, so I may have to pick that up for you. Carry on. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to interrupt to let you guys know about the thing I was reading instead of listening to the last part of the conversation. It was about the road. I wanted to slit my throat. I don't know. Although now that now that I'm thinking about it, like politics and stuff have me so depressed, maybe I should watch the road. And that way, uh-huh. from the bottom of that deep dark pit of despair, whenever I look up at the real world, I'll be like, "Oh, sweet dim light." I don't know. <laughs> I haven't it, felt it on my skin in so long. It it may work in reverse and just be like, "Well, this is where we're headed, so I might as well shoot myself now." Oh yeah, good solid point. It could even it could go even further where you're like, oh, this movie's not depressing after all, given the state of the world. <laughs> kind of like this. Most of the people are dead. Some of them are eating each other. Places God is going. I yearn. I yearn from the day if I when I have to decide whether or not to shoot my dog in the head to save him from the cannibals. <laughs> now, in the interest of fairness, if they're eating your dog, they're not cannibals. Ernie just starts running over to him like, Ernie, no, they're cannibals. They're cannibals, Ernie. (laughs) No, no, stop. No. Damn it. (laughs) Uh, What did you watch, Doug? Uh, Let's see. Oh, okay. So I can cheer us up because I went and saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. 
which I've heard is awesome, but I have not had a chance to go see it yet. Uh, you've heard you've heard correctly. It is awesome. Is, is there a part in that movie where Peter Parker has to decide whether or not to shoot Miles Morales in the head <laughs> and save animals? Not exactly, but it's not as far off as you're thinking. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> One of the things that's fantastic about this movie is that it really has some adult themes to it mixed in with uh, very kid-friendly storylines as well. And there is totally a part at the end of this movie where, <laughs> spoiler alert, one of the Peter Parkers, <laughs> there's more than one Peter Parker in this movie. Yeah. Uh, there are several. One of them is dead uh, early on in the movie. One of the ones is... <laughs> so there comes a point where one of the characters may have to sacrifice themselves, and you totally have a depressed version of Peter Parker going, yeah, no, fuck. I was going to kill myself anyway. I'll be the guy that kills myself. <laughs> and it's a major plot point in this movie. Uh, so do you guys know what the movie's about? Yes. Okay. But tell so, us anyway. Yeah, so basically it's it's set in a version of the Ultimate Universe, but not the real Ultimate Universe. Uh, Kingpin has had his family die in a car accident while they were running away from him after finding out that he's Kingpin. Um so he's invented like a big giant machine that can travel through dimensions and he's going to try to go grab a version of his family from another dimension so he can so, have them. So the plot from Fringe? <laughs> Pretty <Kind> much. <laughs> um, so Ace, Ace is on the Fringe reference, by the way. That was one of my favorite shows. I've never, never seen the show, so I have no idea if it's accurate or not. It's got Pacey from Dawson's Creek. I'm aware of the show. I'm aware of why I didn't watch the show. <laughs> um <laughs> Anyways, so, yeah, they bring in a spider. Spider bites Miles Morales, who's this, you know, teenager. He becomes a Spider-Man. He meets up with uh, Peter Parker. And just as Peter Parker's agreeing to train him to become the new Spider-Man, he's, the Peter Parker is killed. Um, Miles Morales eventually goes to visit Peter's grave. Uh, he finds Peter Parker there, but this isn't and older, uh, more beaten down and, and torn down version of Peter Parker. Do we find uh, out because there was a, there was a fan theory from from some of the shots of the trailer that this is actually the Tobey Maguire Peter Parker? Because when they show him reflecting on his adventures, they're pretty much shots from the old Sam Raimi so, movie. Okay, so some of the shots you're talking about, like there's the upside down kiss. Mm. Um, there is a scene of him dancing, but he's dancing in the blue and red suit. So that is the first Peter Parker from the Ultimates universe. Uh, okay. So no, that is not. But I feel it's not unreasonable to think that the Peter Parker from the 616 universe is the Tobey Maguire Peter Parker. So when he comes in, he's like in his 30s. He's mm -hmm. kind of a little... It's, it's revealed later on that... Uh, Basically, Mary Jane was pressuring him to have kids, which resulted in them getting a divorce because he wasn't ready to... You know, it's the classic mm. Peter Parker struggle of not being able to combine his life of Spider-Man and that. So now he's uh, he's living in this like little apartment and basically living like a divorced guy where he just eats pizza every night and doesn't go to the gym. So he has to wear, like... You've probably seen pictures of it. He's wearing, like, track pants instead of <laughs> his spider yeah. suit because he's put on a little weight and stuff. But... The, the side effect of that is because he's 35, he's been 
Spider-Man since he was 15 or whatever, he is really, really good at being Spider-Man. So despite like being out of shape and stuff, he's still able to save the day all the time. Um, so like that's my favorite version of Spider-Man we meet in this story. So I, I, those two guys basically team up. They don't. They're trying to figure out what happened. They eventually go to. They go to Aunt May's house, and that's where they meet up with a bunch of other Spider-Men as well. So you have well, you have Spider Gwen. Um, you have, and that, she's sort of your third main character. Then you have Spider-Man Noir and Spider Ham. And I don't know what you call Penny Parker's character. She's the Spider-Man from Japanimation. Oh, yeah. So basically, yeah. So then basically they have to get in there, send... Everybody has to be sent back to their own dimensions before they fade away. Um, and then it's theoretically somebody has to turn off the machine so that this can't ever happen again. And originally it's Miles Morales thinking, well, since we're in my universe, I'll be the one to do it. And that's where you get your plot point of, like, the other guys are like, you're new to this, you still can't control your powers, you simply can't do it. And the other guys have to start deciding which one of us is going to get left behind. So anyways, you you can probably guess they saved the day and all that kind of stuff. It is a superhero movie. Mm -hmm. But what makes this movie good is it's like, first of all, the characters are really well done. Um, your three main characters your Miles Morales, he's obviously your, your main character the Peter Parker from the 616 universe and Gwen Stacy character are all very well developed, they're interesting they're acted really well Like Jake Johnson does the Peter Parker voice and he's like, he's from the show New Girl have you guys ever seen that show? no, but I, yeah, I know who you're talking about yeah, so like he, he does it kind of in the, the same sort of tone of voice um but it really suits the character very, very well. And I like I really liked it. I'm a big fan of any comics where you kind of jump to here's what these characters are up to sometime in the future after all the stories that we know have taken place. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was a very interesting way to do it. Um, so yeah. you get a lot you get a lot with him where he like where he, when he meets up with the Mary Jane in the Ultimate Universe. And it's there's this really funny scene where they're all trying to figure out how to break into Kingpin's lair when they get there. Kingpin is throwing a party where everybody's dressed up as uh, all the waiters are dressed up as Spider-Man. <laughs> um, so there, what we get is all of the different characters, including Spider-Ham, all putting on waiter outfits, but <laughs> and they're all walking around and nobody's nobody's noticing them, even though some of them look quite different. Um, but you get him, you get this Peter Parker character stumbles across Mary Jane and she's like thinking he's a waiter asking for more bread <laughs> and he's he's doing this like semi-funny semi-serious thing where he's like trying to apologize to her on behalf of the Mary Jane from his own universe who he thinks he's never going to see again he's trying to apologize for like leaving her and how he should have given let her he should have had kids with her and now that he realizes it and it's too late but, he, but he's doing it all through this metaphor of bringing her bread and the Mary Jane there has no idea she's talking to a Peter Parker, <laughs> so she's just super confused the whole time. And then you get like the the Gwen Stacy character, who's like kind of like the hip, cool version of Spider Man, comes in and she's like, you know, we really can't go get her bread though, right? Like we actually have to go and save the day now. <laughs> like this, this is all adorable and everything. But I guess so I have one major question. Yeah, does Laporadon show up? Does who show up? 
the giant Voltron Jaguar robot that the Japanese Spider-Man rides in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't know the name of that giant robot, but yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah! It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a significant character. Um, did, you, did you see Ready Player One, Doug? No. No. I'll never know. <laughs> Leopardon, Leopardon actually, actually has a plot point in the book that they couldn't use for obvious reasons in the movie. So they replaced him with Iron Giant instead. Okay. I knew Iron Giant was in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got, like, the Penny Parker and her robot. I'm still not going to try to pronounce that name. Uh, Spider-Ham and uh, Spider-Man Noir are all sort of comic relief characters that are all kind of grouped together. But they're all handled uniquely, and they're all voiced really well. Like, Well, I guess I wouldn't say Penny Parker's necessarily voiced well. It's more to do with the animation style. Like, she's, she's Japanimation, even though nobody else in the movie is. <laughs> um, and you got Nick Cage in a Spider-Man Noir, and he's hilarious. Like, there's a, a whole plot point that's going on in the background where he's trying to understand a Rubik's cube because he's the only character that's in black and white, and he can't figure out. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't understand the concept of a Rubik's cube because he can't see in color. Oh. Uh. And then Spider Spider Ham is Spider Ham is actually purely hilarious to the point where it, like he drops an anvil on somebody at one point <laughs> when he's about to zip back to his own universe. He tries to hand Miles Morales a giant uh, mallet, and he's like, "You can hit people on the head with it, and it fits in your pocket." <laughs> oh, it's it's great. Um, Spider Ham comics. There are a couple characters that I would fucking kill for them to just make a Spider Ham movie, so I could get to see them. Well, and I think like, I think like the character like, the character is good enough that I think we could get a movie with him. I think you get a character. Any one of these characters could now have their own movie. Mm-hmm. Any one of the like versions of Spider Man, with the exception of the Chris Pine version who dies in the movie. I probably don't want to do a flashback to that, but. Um, yeah, so I mentioned like all the different kinds of animation. They do such a good job of combining them. Mm-hmm. Visually, this movie's great. The characters are awesome. The story is pretty standard, um, with the exception of the Miles Morales story, which is it's his introduction story. Um, and we kind of go through some standard stuff. If you know comics, you're going to see some of the plot twists coming. Um, I haven't got I haven't gotten into them here, but yeah, like go through his story of figuring out he's Spider-Man and wanting to be trained and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah, like I say, if, you, if you've read the comics or you know anything about them, you'll know some of the plot twists about what happens with some of the other characters. I won't mention them here in case people haven't seen them or, ha- or haven't read those. It's, uh, yeah. I don't know. The movie's great. There's an awesome Stan Lee cameo where it's it's maybe the best one I've ever seen because Stan Lee plays like a shopkeeper who is selling Spider-Man merchandise in this ultimate universe. Spider-Man is like a celebrity. Um, and he's literally selling a suit to Miles Morales who has recently gotten his powers and he's selling this, this Spider-Man suit to him. And he's saying like, he's saying, don't worry kid. One day I'll just see the kids. Miles Morales says like, can I get a refund if this doesn't fit? And he's like, don't worry. One day it'll fit eventually, kid, and it's this great little moment of him like kind of passing the torch on. And then he also has this like great line where he says, "You know, you know, I knew Spider-Man a little bit. Him and I were actually friends, and all this." And it's like it's really kind of 
powerful, knowing that Stanley has now passed away and knowing that this is the cartoon character Stanley passing the torch on. And it's still kind of a funny moment because while he's trying to justify the fact that you'll never need to return this, there's a sign behind him that says no refunds under any circumstances. (laughs) 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 So I I really like that. Nice. Um, And it's, I I happen to have seen this on what would have been Stanley's birthday, which is a coincidence that I didn't pick up on until the Stanley cameo was happening on screen. And I suddenly remembered, um, so I, I found it very touching and very. I kind of wish it was the last Stanley cameo. I know, yeah. I know, in, I know in, in practice that it's not, but it would have been perfect having him pass the torch on to the next generation the way he does in this movie, and having him give this really positive message. Like when he says, "Don't worry, kid. Like the the suit will fit eventually." In the end credits, they actually show some quotes from Stanley and talk about how anybody can be a superhero and all that, which I think is because this is still a kid's movie, even though it has some darker themes and adult notions in it. I think it's a nice little message to have in there. And I think it's a great way to kind of end Stanley's career. Um, so I think it's sort of unfortunate that obviously Disney's not going to let that be the last we see of him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think I've been babbling here and I'm not sure if I've made any sense, <laughs> no, totally. but I, but I fucking love this movie, and I think everybody should see it. And I think it, it it's fun in the way that you're thinking it might be fun to see all these characters on screen, but it's also got good character development and good storytelling. There's Visually, it's fantastic. I can't believe how good a job they did of combining all these different animation styles and creating real comic book-looking stuff on screen. Um, so it's not just like... It's not just... An, the different animation styles aren't just gimmicky, right? It's not just black and white when Spider-Man Noir is on screen and cartoonish when it's Spider-Ham and Japanimation when it's Penny Parker. It's, they use different, like some of the scenes look almost photorealistic and some of the scenes look way more cartoony, even when it's the same characters in the scenes. So when they get to using it gimmickly, <laughs> when they get to using it as a gimmick, it doesn't feel like it stands out so much because they've already adjusted you to the idea that there is multiple uh, animation styles in this same film. So, uh, anyways, it, it, it's great. <clears throat> yeah, a couple years ago in the comics, they did uh, this big crossover called Spider-Verse, where they crossed over all the yeah. a bunch of the alternate reality Spider-Men. Uh, and this year they did Spider-Geddon, which is the sequel to it. Right. The best thing is there's one called Spider's Man, where it's a group of sentient spiders that have formed into a human shape inside Spider-Man's costume, and they think (laughs) they're Peter Parker. And there's, like, little tears in the costume, so you can just see it's just full of bugs. (laughs) But he then, like, says, like, some of the funniest shit where they're like, I don't know what we're going to do. And then Spider-Man will be like, well, we're definitely not going to eat them because that's not something a human would do. <laughs> everybody just looks at him like, what the fuck is your problem? That's hilarious. <laughs> so that good. seems like a joke that would have worked in this movie. If, if, if that's the kind of humor you like, that would have shown up in this movie. <laughs> Like, there's a moment where uh, they're all in, like, this weird spider cave that the Ultimate Universe Peter Parker had, and 
they're introducing all the characters and they look up and there's Spider-Man Noir like in black and white like hanging from the ceiling and this like long trench coat is blowing in the wind and they're like oh my god who's that guy and, and somebody actually calls out like is he in black and white and then somebody goes wait we're in a basement why is his coat blowing like that and it cuts to <laughs> and because it's Nick Cage saying it too right it's like brilliant casting because picture Nick Cage's voice and he's like wherever I go the wind follows me <laughs> and the wind smells love rain and it's like what the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, their, their ability to mix in that those types of jokes into a good action storyline is fascinating mm. the only thing I would say is personally um some of the final fight stuff when it's a cartoon fighting another cartoon I had trouble getting kind of engulfed in that battle and so it felt like it went on a little too long but yeah the other side of that is like it's a movie made for a very wide audience and that's not the part of the audience that I am so yeah I might have to go try to see it this weekend I've been wanting to forever I've just been shit going on like every weekend for the past yeah. month Yep, that's been my problem too. There have been several things I've wanted to see and haven't gotten around to them. So, anyways, that that's basically all I watched this week. I rewatched Homecoming right after I saw that. I was like, <laughs> I, I need more Spider-Man. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see. I watched Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, which was okay. okay. Yeah, it wasn't great. Wasn't terrible, but I don't know. Just. I feel like they just keep using like the same idea mm -hmm. like what the first series did where in the second one they're like well we need to come up with an interesting way to get Jeff Goldblum back on the island <laughs> and that's pretty much what they did in this even even though Jeff Goldblum doesn't show up on the island he does show up in a cameo in the like government hearing which was fun to see but then they're like we need to figure out a way to get Chris Pratt and what's her face back on the island what if the island's going to explode and all the dinosaurs are going to die? Perfect. And then, you know, shit ensues and they get off the island with dinosaurs. and It becomes less interesting after that. Did you feel the way I felt that maybe this was supposed to be two movies? One about them going back to the island and one about them after. And for some reason they made it into one movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got that, but I felt like maybe they were kind of like, okay, in the first one, they were on the island. This one, let's take dinosaurs off the island. And so I felt like they were in a rush to get dinosaurs, like, in somewhat of a familiar setting. Yeah, see, like, I think the, the issue I had was I felt like maybe there was a whole movie that should have taken place, like, after the after the dinosaurs were on land, on mainland, and yeah. we're already halfway through the movie when that happened. I don't know. I think I, I think my theory at the time when I first saw this was that there was supposed to be a trilogy, but the trilogy would have started with them going to get the, the dinosaurs off the island, and somebody at the studio probably said, no, you have to start with essentially a remake, and then you can build your trilogy off of that, mm -hmm. because that's what Star Wars did. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Again, wasn't great, wasn't terrible. Just sort of was, which is kind of even worse than being bad. Uh, 
I, I enjoyed it when I saw it. No, I saw it in theaters. And I, mm. I just watched a lot of dinosaurs eat people, and I enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm just worried that they're falling into the same tropes the first trilogy did. Mm. and Which this one was, let's take dinosaurs off the island. And then also falling into the trap that they did with the first movie, which is, okay, we're going to genetically engineer a dinosaur. Now, I know that ruined our park in the first movie, <laughs> but we're seriously going to do it right this time. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, I would still watch another one when it comes out. So, I mean... Well, the other one looks like we might actually finally get dinosaurs run amok on... Yeah. In, in some town, maybe. Which... Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Like that's something that hasn't been done. So mm-hmm. let's have dinosaurs running around like downtown LA or some small town or wherever. Yeah. Yeah, I'd watch it. Uh, see, the other thing I watched is a movie called Terrified, which is uh, an Argentinian horror movie, right. um, which right now is a Shutter exclusive. Uh. So, essentially, weird shit starts happening in this small neighborhood and it's sort of confined to like three or four houses and at first you're just sort of seeing like there's a couple that this lady keeps hearing voices coming out from her kitchen uh, drain and she's like that's, that's weird and then like some crazy shit happens and then we cut to another, like their neighbor, who uh, they mildly talk about in the first segment, but you don't see him. And then you cut to that where he thinks there's something under his bed that's trying to get him. And then you cut to someone across the street whose son gets hit by a car, but then a couple days later shows up at his house, like as a, almost like a zombie but he like looks like gross like decomposing and stuff and it's kind of terrifying then so after those three segments happen it's this group that have somewhat been involved like either like a police officer dealing with one of the segments and then uh some essentially like form a group to go investigate why all this is happening um, about halfway through the movie, and then crazy shit starts happening to them. Uh, I will say I really enjoyed it. The, some of the visuals is like creeped me out. Like they're when the guy believes there's something under his bed, and they show that something is under his bed, but they do it subtly. It's terrifying. And then some of the stuff later about a dude being trapped in an entertainment center which sounds ridiculous, but when you watch it, you're just like, what the fuck? And there's a lot of that in this movie. Just a lot of weird visual stuff that seems to work really well. Um, So it would definitely be a recommend. But I heard someone complain before that it just seems like a lot of segments that are scrapped together, and there's not a good sort of through line. Which I could see, but it didn't bother me a whole lot. You just sort of have to go along with the ride and just be like, well, that's some fucked up shit. And the next segment, like, well, that's really fucked up too. And then just, you know, keep going throughout the rest of the movie. So it'd be a recommend for me. Terrified. 
Not to be confused with Terrifier, which is the movie with that clown guy that kills people. Yeah, that's what I thought you watched when you pointed it when you posted like on Facebook that you were watching this. I'm like, no, Killer Clowns. It doesn't seem like something you'd be recommending. Well, I actually watched that one a while back, and it's not terrible, but it's not great. Whereas this is pretty great. Like I really enjoyed it. Like I said, great visuals. Just fucked up shit that like. If you were watching this with like a friend who really likes horror movies, something would happen and you would turn and said, holy fuck, what was that? If you guys would just sort of laugh and then go back to watching the rest of it. So I really liked it. I thought it was good. I can understand that people don't like that there's not a good through narrative, that it seems like a couple segments just put together. But I don't know, the segments seem to work pretty well, so I'm fine with it. And that's pretty much it. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, Doug, what did you decide we're going to do for next week? Uh, for some reason, we're going to talk about Killer Bee movies. And since yep. we don't do enough Michael Caine on this show, we're going to talk about The Swarm. And then we're going to do a movie called The Deadly Bees, which I put on the list a long time ago, and I do not remember why. I think at the time, maybe I was trying to put the killer bees on the list, and I got deadly bees instead. <laughs> and it's on the list, <laughs> so now we have to do it. Now we have to do it. I can't remember how I picked that movie. I watched the trailer for it when I was trying to decide what to watch. I don't remember seeing that trailer before. So, there we go. We're watching it. Um, yeah, Trouble sp- strikes when exhausted pop singer sent on a vacation to a farm realizes that the farm's owner grows deadly bees. He grows them like out of the ground. I assume he just breeds them. <laughs> I believe it's a British movie, so that maybe they use the term "grows" to imply breeds. I don't know. And one of the writers credited is Robert Block of Psycho fame. Oh, that might be why I picked it. <laughs> maybe I really do. I really do like that first Psycho book. Yeah, I never read any of the other ones. I tried to read the second one. Didn't I have the second one. I haven't read it yet. Ernie disagrees. Ernie's going to have to start getting an official uh, co-host credit on this podcast. He's here every week now. <laughs> Man, he's being a good boy. All right, so yeah. Killer bees Killer, next week. Killer bees for no reason. We're not in the spring where bees would be about. No, I think... But Michael Caine. Michael Caine, well, though. We're trying to raise awareness for the fact that we're killing all the bees and... Yeah. Bees go away, that's bad. There's memes about it. You can read it on your own. You don't need to take my word for it. <laughs> I don't really understand why bees going away is bad, but I accept the fact that it is because somebody made all those memes. Because uh, they helped pollinate a lot of plants. Some about them bees fucking flowers. <laughs> they just artificially pollinate things now, though? Oh. <laughs> in, uh, didn't in Black Mirror, they made robot bees and everything worked out perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, no, because it was Black Mirror. I'm trying to remember how that episode ended, but I bet you it wasn't perfectly fine. <laughs> remember that one episode of Black Mirror that Black Mirrored us by having a happy ending? Yeah, there, was, there was only that one where they end up in the computer together, but that's it. Yeah, it's the, the only one that had a happy ending, and that happy ending is they were both dead, but their souls were uploaded into a computer world, so it's kind of like New Orleans. Um, and that one got nominated for an Emmy. So. Yeah. Oh, happy times. 
I will say after I watched like the that new it's called Baldur Snatch there, I uh, it, Netflix tried to automatically start more net more Black Mirror for me, and it was like one of those no stop stop because if I st- watch one, that's it. Like next week, all I'm going to be doing is talk about Black Mirror again. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> just that little that little weird like circle starts clicking around. And you're just like, no, no, no Black Mirror. Don't We're going to get a season five soon enough. That's yeah. going to be depressing. It only not, handles so much. Not the road depressing, but still depressing. Yeah, nothing's the road depressing. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.